Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Leviticus. That's the third book in the Bible in the Old Testament. It's And we're at chapter 26. And let's begin with verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I'm the Lord your God. So even though this chapter doesn't start out officially like the last bunch of chapters we've read in the book of Leviticus does with it first declaring that um, the Lord is speaking to Moses it's implied that that's what's happening even though like I've said again and again uh, it contradicts what another part of the Bible says even if your preacher tells you there is no contradictions it's obviously a contradiction if here it's saying the Lord is speaking and then somewhere else it says that no one's ever heard God's voice or seen his form but they're getting the orders here. Uh, it seems they're, if we're going to say that's what's happening because that's how it reads. Then the Lord is giving them commandments that um, to not have uh, other gods, basically. One of the Ten Commandments. To not worship anyone else. And here um, it includes making idols. Uh, and it sounds like uh, the same way other idols have been described. Um, basically in the shape of phallic symbols another sign that clearly it's um, patriarchy happening or at work Um, that's things that are shaped like penises in plain English Um, whether it's something handheld and small like dildo size like the ones we've read about that were hidden under uh, hidden in certain places when people were trying to travel so that other people wouldn't discover it or if they're modern si- uh, modern things the size of like monuments, like say the Washington Monument, tall and long and hard, it's really the same idea. And um, they're forbidden here according to that verse. Verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I'm the Lord. So he keeps giving the tagline that I'm the Lord to make it clear to the people, the congregation that these are supposedly directly from God. And uh, this one here is that you are supposed to honor the Sabbath. That's the one day a week where you're supposed to do no work um, and reverence the sanctuary. That seems pretty obvious. You know, respect the church, the temple, the synagogue, the place of worship. Verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, so this is the contingent part where there's an if and a then. So if you're faithful to these uh, statutes and commandments, verse 4, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So that the first part of that then statement contradicts another part of the Bible where it says the Lord makes the sunrise on and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the rain and the sunrise seem like they're tapping anyway, whether you're faithful or whether you're, you know, unfaithful. But here it's saying, it seems to be saying if they are faithful, if the people are faithful to these commandments, then they can expect um, the land to reap good things or yeah, yield good things for them as far as agriculture goes. Which sort of, um, which that's what it seems to be saying to me. Verse 5, your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the time and the vintage shall last 
till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. So we read some of the things about the agricultural commands, about how you're supposed to not uh, uh, overwork the land or not work the land at all at certain times and, and for certain years. And then when you don't, the when they don't, the blessing would come in the form of a crop being provided divinely for uh, to last through three years. So you know, they were given the order to let the land rest um, when they first get to it, the promised land as it's called, and that in doing so, it would show reverence to the commandments they've been given. But then also when they have the Sabbath rest of the land, that means they do the regular working of the land after that initial break period. They'd work the land for six years, and then the seventh year, the land's supposed to lie fallow, and if fruit or whatever grows on it, you're not supposed to use that for uh, industry. You're supposed to just let it grow, use it for food, for yourself, for your family, for the stranger. Um, We know that whatever religions, at least it doesn't seem to me that any religions, uh, whether it's a sect of the religion we're talking about here, or some other sect of religions, I don't, haven't, I don't know any that do that. In modern times, it's about the money. Not to say that that's right, but it's just saying it's not faithful to what's being commanded here. Verse 5, your threshing shall last. Oh, sorry. So it's basically saying, so if you are faithful, then you won't have to worry about um, having crops enough. Uh, A supernatural reaping will happen where that like for instance when you give the seventh that seventh year break you'll get the blessing in the sixth year that'll last you for all three years the sixth year the seventh year and then while you're waiting in the eighth year for the harvest then again i don't think that any um i don't know i imagine there must be some kosher crops or kosher farmers throughout the world who include that in their um agricultural schedule but Again, I don't know any that do. It seems like if they did, they'd be kind of known, widely known if they did. But um, it's what it says. Verse 6, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. So more promises of faithfulness, of protection from uh, evil beasts. And the first thing that comes to mind might be the wild animals that might, you know, tear into your flocks or eat up your crops. But if you consider Revelation, the beasts mentioned there are supernatural beasts and energies that are um, going to ravage the land. So I would say if if you're going to believe this, then don't exclude this sort of supernatural beast that can do damage also. Um... Verse 7, you will chase your enemies and they shall fall by the sword before you. So um, the protection and defense includes, it seems, physical protection from uh, the enemies and victory over them. But as we read on, God willing, we read on through the rest of the Bible today God willing will be to the end of the third book already um, in our readings but we'll get to a point um, that you'll see 
that the people don't remain faithful and the enemies do overtake them and in some cases even take them hostage from their own land and again it might be because of the unfaithfulness uh, at least that may be the the reason for some of it we'll see verse 8 five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight your enemies shall fall by the sword before you so they're being guaranteed um mighty defense supernaturally um from their enemies as a reward for the faithfulness verse 9 for i will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you so um it's uh, the promise of abundance is included with um the the covenant of or being faithful to the covenant and that the covenant is going to be confirmed by showing what happens with the fields and what happens with their enemies verse 10 you shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new so basically saying there if they're faithful they're going to be so blessed that there will be bumper crops where they won't basically have enough to um they won't even have time to finish off what they've already collected from say this year's harvest before next year's harvest comes and needs that space too and i think that may be one of the reasons why people think if someone is blessed or you know i don't mean blessed if someone has plenty say like a billionaire or um something like that they'll assume oh they must be blessed because they have so much because we're reading about how blessed you'll be if you're faithful to these to this covenant at least these people but we know that that's that's not necessarily true at all people can be have bumper crops and have abundance through thievery look at how america took land took it from the native american people who were here before them and there are doubtless people here before them even but the history as it's taught and we see how that can be affected with things like opposition to the truth with the critical race history um where you're examining the truth is being blocked uh, so you can imagine that there were civilizations before the native americans even but it seems that the victor gets to write the history so abundance isn't always due to faithfulness sometimes it's due to just greed sometimes it's due to uh lineage you can be born into abundance and not know god at all um or at least not reverence god at all so the two aren't synonymous although that's what people often think when they see people like the prosperity preachers on tv or radio or whatnot um let's see verse 11 i will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you so there they're also being told that the holy place the tabernacle where they can seek god will be among them and not only that god's not going to despise them god's not gonna um you know be like you when it comes to them if they're faithful to these commandments then the holy place will be a place that's uh, a welcoming spot for both for for the divine and for the human the natural and the supernatural verse and again they weren't faithful to that according to the narratives we in the old testament um so maybe that's why some of those these promises uh didn't last or don't make it verse 12 i will walk among you and be your god and you shall be my people 
So when it says God walking among them, I would have to imagine it must mean in a supernatural sense, spiritually that is, where they're not actually seeing God walking among them. Since, like I said, in the New Testament, John chapter 1, for instance, it says no one's seeing God at any time. So um, walking among them, I guess, spiritually, supernaturally is the point there, although that contradicts uh, the first chapter in John also contradicts what we read in the first chapters of the book of Genesis, where apparently God was walking among Adam and Eve, for instance, and they could know that God was there, were having conversations with God, and all of that. So if you can figure out how both can possibly be true, feel free to let me know. Uh, they seem contradictory to me. Um, verse 13, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I've broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. So this contradicts uh, lots of things. The first being one of the Ten Commandments, to love your neighbor as yourself. If you love yourself, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, and you yourself wouldn't want to be a slave, then why in the world would it be okay for you to enslave your neighbor? And yet, in just the previous chapter we read, in verse uh, chapter 25, we read all kinds of different um, ways of how to have slaves and indentured servants. And it seemed to be saying it's from the Lord. So how is that loving your neighbor as yourself if you're enslaving them and treating them as property, passing them down as property from generation to generation, never letting them be free, even letting your children own them? And it's right there in writing. You can read it for yourself. How can I possibly be consistent with loving your neighbor as yourself? Or even more plainly, how can it be consistent with you yourself being delivered from slavery and all its tortures and evils, but then being told by God, supposedly, to enslave your neighbor, to sell, buy and sell your neighbor, still set yourself apart so that if one of your own people ends up falling into slavery, uh, go ahead and use them as a slave for the money, the, the financial gain for a while. But then after a certain period, when Jubilee rolls around, uh, go ahead and set them free. But not the not the stranger who's dwelling with you. Only your uh, your um, neighbor who happens to have the same ethnicity as you. Does that really sound like God to you? Does that really sound like a Lord that's not a respecter of persons? A God that's not biased? It absolutely sounds extremely biased. So it seems to me that can't possibly be from God any more than this verse where we just read. Where it seems like the Lord just forgot that um yeah they were slaves so why in the world were you turning around telling them to enslave other people and yet it's what it reads so we're reading it verse 14 but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments so here's the part where it seems to me where religion is stepping in not just religion but the business of religion because remember the only commandments that Moses got according to the narrative were the 10 that were carved in stone by God's finger if you're going to believe that narrative, um, that's what happened, at least in the 40 days and 40 nights. For whatever reason, it took 40 days and 40 nights twice to, for that to happen. Because it, 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 it seems to me if it were supernatural, wouldn't the stones be done in an instant? Just like how lightning falls from heaven or strikes people down in an instant. If it were really from God, um, wouldn't God have found a more efficient, quicker way to do it? instead of 40 days where it seems like 
it's a person up there carving those things into stone instead of the Lord's hand doing it. But even if it is the Lord's hand doing it and a person just delivering the message, why take 40 days to give people time to fall into unfaithfulness and fall away from uh, following your the commands? Uh, maybe just to test them and see. But if that's the case, would you need to test them twice if you saw they failed the first time um, with their faithfulness? But we're just reading what it says. Um, so, and I say all that because it's saying the command, these commandments. The commandments, again, were just those 10 originally. And yet, since then, we've read about all sorts of other statutes and ordinances attached to them, supposedly given from Moses, even though, as I've mentioned before, Jesus himself, closer to the origin of all of this than we are, lets them know that all of these commandments are not from, um, all these different things are not from Moses, but instead from the fathers, the also known as the forefathers, <coughs> excuse me, of the religion. So, but they just get tacked in together just so that people will be obedient to them, not necessarily that they are uh, divinely uh, ordered. Verse 15, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant. So this is where they're all being lumped in together. The Ten Commandments originally given by Moses as that story goes, but also all these other statutes and ordinances about what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can touch, what you can't touch, what you have to offer, what you should not offer, who's to offer it who's to get it, and all of that stuff. All of that gets lumped in together with the Ten Commandments, even though, again, it doesn't seem like all those could possibly be from God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry I sound so gruff. I've been crying. It's been a rough day. I've been thinking about my deceased mother, and I just had a dream about her, and got to embrace her again, and it was heartbreaking seeing her all over again and losing her all over again. It felt like, even though it's been 10 years, so forgive me, it's um, it's not easy sometimes. Verse 11, I also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, washing, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sorrow and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. Wow. How timely. Think about talking about uh, wasting disease and consuming the eyes from sorrow it's exactly how I'm feeling but um, the wasting disease can take many forms it can take the form of cancer like what took my mother but it can also take other forms of pandemics that cause wasting like for instance the HIV the AIDS pandemic there's a difference between HIV and AIDS HIV is the virus that causes AIDS AIDS is the thing that if it's untreated that can kill you so there's a difference just like um, COVID is the, or coronavirus may be the virus that causes the diseases like the different lung diseases that can actually kill you so think of it that way there's two different things but it's saying here if they're unfaithful they can look forward to that those kinds of terrors wasting diseases that basically means things that are going to draw you up and kill you shrivel you up and kill you fever that's pretty obvious and the things that consume the eyes, that would be things that cause you a broken heart for, from the loss and cause you many, many tears. And um, also it says that you, it would also 
the land and also will turn on you basically where the things you sow in it will be sown in vain because you aren't going to get a crop from them and the crop you do get your enemies are going to end up eating and I think it may not seem directly that way but it seems that way in a big picture sense that that's what's happening in America there's no shortage of different crops because there's land to grow wheat there's land to grow corn there's land to grow all sorts of things but instead there's wickedness and corruption and not just in America throughout the world even in a place like Africa where there's all sorts of land and resources even in a place like Ukraine where there's land and resources but instead of the people there being able to take part in them there's corruption where there's agreements and treaties made that refuse to be broken even in times of war and famine and pestilence that will cause the people there the people in power that is and I say there but I mean here in America also there are structures set up politically governmentally that will instead of feeding the poor that are there instead cause them to follow those treaties um, and send the food send the resources allow the resources to be taken to other places for in exchange for money money that the people here who are making the treaties have plenty of but the poor people here who need it don't and it'll be enforced and it'll it's so sick it's so psychotic that it gets the people who don't have to keep supporting the system in place to keep them not having the system that keeps in place to keep sending the food somewhere else and then they'll be distracted they use systems of distraction again and again like showing the tiny percentage of say formula in the case of the most recent famines that are are, are arising that will sh distract the people who need it here by saying oh look they're giving the formula to uh, immigrants they're giving the foreign the formula to foreigners when that's such a tiny percentage I think it's like point zero 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 five percentage minuscule amount is what's being given to the poor and needy stranger and foreigner that the these scriptures also command be taken care of they're being taken they're being ordered to take it be taken from them that tiny percentage as if that's going to be enough to even feed the demand of the multitudes here of the so-called um, uh, natural born citizens or first citizens it's it's just such wickedness because they the people who are arranging these treaties and deals that they profit off of know good and well that if you do take that food out of the foreigner the immigrant the stranger's mouth it's still not going to be enough to feed the demand for the citizenry here yet they'll use that as a banner to keep the people fooled into thinking oh the real enemy is the poor and needy stranger and foreigner at your gates who according to these same scriptures you're supposed to look out for you're supposed to provide food for you're supposed to welcome because again at one time you were a slave yourself and in the case of what we're reading here it's a certain nation of people it's the Israelites uh, Jewish people as we call them plainly but they weren't the only slaves in modern time in modern times African de African descendants of slaves go without go without also without resources without opportunity without money without housing without education by design by the same system that's set up to elevate one group of people who were the slave owners 
who did receive reparations, who do receive a leg out, a hand up and a, a hand out without any sort of stigma at all, codified to get it uh, again and again, and yet to keep pointing at the stranger, the minority, the other as the real villain and the real risk. And you see it emerging again and again in the case of these whack job shooters, these uh, assassins that get treated with kid gloves even though they're armed and just committed all sorts of massacres. The police don't use billy clubs on them. The police don't sick dogs on them or high pressure water hoses. The politicians don't create laws against them. What do they do instead? They keep vilifying the foreigner, the stranger, the black person, the minority as the real issue. And so laws are set up like the don't say gay law in Florida where you can't even talk about uh, marginalized people who are going without those same resources or the law set up to keep from teaching about critical race theory, which is really just uh, history showing people where history has given one people, one group of people, a head start ahead of everyone else with help all along the way with no stigma. And yet we'll also put a magnifying glass on any assistance any other group gets and demonize it as welfare, even though all of it is welfare if it's coming from the government, only the part going to the poor, the needy, the stranger, the colored, that's who gets the magnifying glass, that's who gets the stigma. And like I said again, again, it's really just plain wickedness. And even if you don't want to think of it as wickedness, because you may not be a believer, think of it as immoral, because that's what it is. It's bias and it's immoral. Uh, and yet, it's the American way. Verse 17, I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you. So that means if they're unfaithful to these statutes, ordinances, that's what's tacked on. But it said, it really said the commandments and then the statutes and ordinances got tacked on. So, But if you're unfaithful to those 10 commandments, then expect all of those things to happen. And expect your enemies instead to be able to defeat you and overcome you when it comes to war. And the enemy isn't always the one that's fighting on the field. The enemy might actually be within because when you consider the ones who are victors, say, in the Iraq war, in the Afghanistan war, the people who came out on top weren't um, the American people and it, weren't the, it wasn't the Iraqis or the Afghanistan. Uh, Afghani people. Instead, it's the military complex, military industrial complex who comes out on top of it again and again and again with billions of dollars, billions would it be being given to them year after year after year with no argument from the uh, Democrats or Republicans, even though whether there's a war or not, money is sent again and again and again on efforts that are fruitless because Iraq didn't end in victory. Afghanistan didn't end in victory. It's 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 horrible, but it's the enemy conquering the people who are unfaithful in a form that people may not realize that it's even taking. Verse 18, and after all this, if you do not obey me, then I'll punish you seven times more for your sins. So for being disobedient, Expect punishment is what that verse is saying, but not just punishment, but seven times more, meaning sevenfold punishment. So having to pay seven times what you put out 
for the one time of your faithfulness, unfaithfulness. Verse 19, I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. So as a reward for the unfaithfulness, expect the land to turn on you for it to um, not yield the things that will sustain you at all. And look at what it's being rooted back to, pride. And even though we have a, a God-fearing nation, supposedly, we have a branch of the military called the few, the proud. So uh, how is that godly? It's not godly. It's not faithful to even the Old Testament, much less the New Testament, because Jesus also denounces pride as being evil and wicked. And what do people do? Instead of uh, paying attention to what the Old Testament says, if you're one faith or religion or a person who believes you have to follow everything from Genesis to Revelation. Or if you're a Christian, following what even Jesus says about pride being wrong. Instead, they ignore both of those and go with something called the seven deadly sins, which is not even something Jesus ever even said. And it's not even something in the Old Testament. And in fact, when it talks about, I think it's in Proverbs or maybe Ecclesiastes, where it talks about it's Proverbs where it talks about these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Uh, it doesn't talk about the seven deadly sins at all. Gluttony and all of that stuff. That's not what's mentioned at all. And yet that's what people will embrace as the truth because they're misled. They're misled from the pulpit and choose to believe that. Because just like we're scrolling through, reading it here, I'm using the blueletterbible.org website. But most other people have a hard copy of the Bible. You can open it up and read it for yourself. And yet people don't do that at all. Just like in politics, rather than think for themselves. So in religion, they choose to just get the message from whoever's in the pulpit and believe whatever they say. Whether it's true or not, whether it's Bible-based or not, or in the case of Christianity, whether it's red letter or not. And there's a reward for that. It's not a good thing. It's everything turning on you. Verse 20, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So again, it's an agricultural reward that you get in an evil way, in a bad way, where the things that grow in the field are not going to prosper you. They're not going to benefit you. Verse 21, then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins so now the seven times over is being doubled if you continue to be stubborn and prideful and walk in sin rather than in faithfulness verse 22 i will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children destroy your livestock and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate so again with the agricultural recompense where the 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 fields aren't going to yield to you um, food or sustenance, but also the wild beasts are also going to be against you. And we just went over the beasts can be the four-legged kind, but in modern term modern terms and times, it could be other types of beasts, supernatural beasts. And like I said before, I think one of the beasts, at least the beast in Revelation, is the internet itself, where just like it says in Revelation, a beast will come along. That will prevent you from being able to do commerce and business unless you have that mark, the 666 or WWW, as it translates to in the Hebrew language. Um, 
uh, that sort of beast will come along and destroy. And that's exactly what's come along. And it is destroying. And rob you of your children. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to kill your children. It may just kill your children in a spiritual sense where they're walking wickedness. Where they, like for instance, the most recent shooter, only 18 years old, but swallowed up in evil. Thinking that people who are underprivileged and struggle to get crumbs are somehow taking away their privilege to be to um, be above everyone else. And I don't remember who said it, but um, someone said it, and I heard it recently, that when you are walking in privilege, and I'm paraphrasing, but when you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. So it means if you've been raised to be privileged enough to walk around and act as crazy as you want, have a riot and no one... Uh, face any um not every everyone not face felony charges at the very least much less face uh shooting uh binge of people of the military and the police just going in and clearing out say for instance january 6th if those were black lives matters black lives matter protesters uh the police would have entered much more violently the police would have entered with bullets with tanks and yet that's not what happened on january 6th the wickedness is enabled and it causes people to feel entitled to act just that crazy so when you're entitled and enabled to act uh just as crazy and as violently and uh wickedly as you want to it results in your children being robbed from you it results in you raising a generation of people who feel that way feel entitled and then when that entitlement gets threatened they pick up a gun and go and shoot people in a grocery store and it's basically what the shooter even said himself in his so-called manifesto um of crazy talk but He's not alone. It's being taught to people that, oh, your privileges are disappearing. Why would you want a privilege if you want everyone, if you really believe what the Constitution supposedly says, that everyone's created equal and every a justice for all? Why should you expect privilege? You expect privilege because that's what you've been raised on. That's what you've been taught to believe is yours. So when you see it being taken from you, you feel like, uh-oh, I'm being oppressed. Or they feel like, uh-oh, they're being oppressed. So and react violently because you know they're going to entitle you to act violently. They're not going to respond to you with violence like they do if you're a black protesting peacefully. They're going to respond with you with reason and try and talk you down and get you to not shoot yourself. They certainly aren't going to just roll in and kill you like they do when you're unarmed and black and doing nothing. They'll instead negotiate with you and get you to go peacefully, may even take you by Burger King or stop by some fast food food like they did with the person who shot up a church in um, Dylan Roof, I think was his name. Um, shot up a church and killed a bunch of people. The police took him very peacefully and took him by to go get something to eat at a fast food place on his way to jail. And and then make excuses and offer you plea deals and not use the harshest charges against you. They do all of that if you're not black in this country. Well, I should say if you are white because um, it's really not being white that seems to be the offense that gets you treated much more harshly but if you're white you can expect kid gloves you can expect general treatment you can expect the media to immediately start talking about oh it's mental health issues oh it's the parents problem for not the parents had no idea that their child living with them was amassing weapons or that mentality of entitlement and violence somehow the parent doesn't know that and isn't held responsible for that in america if you're the right 
complexion. Uh, and it's fulfilling what this is saying. Your children are being robbed from you. So white privilege and white supremacy also creates white victims, not just the ones who are victims in their own mind of oppression by people of color, but people, but actual victims where they end up in the crossfire sometimes, um, like the Charlottesville thing where a white woman ended up dead because white supremacists ended up taking her life. So white supremacy also has white victims, actual victims too. And you see, there's nothing done to stop it by Democrats or Republicans. Because again, did the previous administration encourage all of that? Absolutely. Did, does the current administration do anything about it? Absolutely not. Did they do anything about police brutality? No. About voting reform? No. Has the, the current administration gone after some of these uh, horrible events from the um, federal level? No, not at all. The Department of Justice isn't going after, which if if it were really a justice system, federal charges should follow each and every time each of those racially motivated attacks, massacres happen. And yet you see that's not what happens at all because generally speaking, they're carried out by white people. And even though black people get the reputation as being so dangerous and violent and scary that you have to shoot them on sight, whether they're armed or not, if you look at the history... It's white people, and this isn't a statement against white people, like I've said again and again. I know plenty of white people, love plenty of white people, have plenty of white lovers, plenty of white friends, have even white family. So it's not a statement against white people, it's a statement against white supremacy. Because, like I said, if you look at history, it's not black people who are responsible for world wars, one or two. It's not black people who are responsible for mass shootings again and again and again. Sure, there's a there are black people who have done shootings. Shootings, um, gang shootings, violent shootings. But if you talk gang shootings, so have other races, not just black people. And if you're going to use, use race, even though that's not an actual real thing either. But if you're going to use race, uh, black people aren't the only ones with gang violence either. But Holocaust, more white people. That's not black people who pulled that off. Uh, the Ukraine-Russia thing, that's not black people. And yet, again and again, it's black people who get the reputation for being wicked and violent and dangerous. And yet, again and again, you see it's white people who let you know they're actually violent and dangerous and somehow still get the reputation of being uh, perfectly innocent and the benefit of the doubt that they didn't do anything wrong, taken into custody without a scratch. It it's nauseating. It's really, really sick to see it happen again and again and again. And the same narrative still survives that one group is dangerous just by appearance and the other group is innocent and harmless just by appearance, even if they're holding a gun that they just used to massacre a whole bunch of people. Verse 23, and if by these things you're not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me. So now it's saying if you're still stubborn and refuse to follow the commandments, love your neighbor as yourself, for instance, uh, verse 24, the contingent response, then I also will walk contrary to you and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. So again, with the number seven, that sevenfold return on your um, disobedience and unwillingness to reform Verse 25, and I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you're gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. So 
it's talking there about the um if you're still unfaithful then enemies will take you captive as in the sense uh, we're going to read it god willing um in the coming books of the bible where the people do fall away from being faithful to any of and all of this just like they fell away from being faithful to the ten commandments um uh, very quickly the people that we've read about so far weren't faithful even to the entity delivering them from slavery before they even got out of the wilderness they were already talking about some of them talking about turning back and going back to the enslavers going back to Africa going back to the Egyptians and just letting them enslave them again because they felt like they had it better there so faithfulness is very fleeting with people and um it was true back then and it's true now so it's it's saying if you're going to continue in unfaithfulness and stubbornness and unwillingness to follow the commandments then expect your enemies to take you captive um verse 26 when i've cut off your supply of bread 10 women shall bake your bread in one oven and they shall bring back your bread by weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied so that means it's gonna, there's going to be scarcity there's going to be famine as a reward for your unfaithfulness and that people are the the resources are going to be so few that 10 different people 10 different houses won't need 10 different ovens they can just use one because there's not enough food for you to cook in all those ovens even if you have them and you see that happening now they call it inflation even though the inflation is completely manipulated because like I said there's no shortage of crops there's no shortage of gas even though gas prices are through the roof there's no shortage at all and yet the government the governmental system that pretends to be God-fearing and Christian allows and not only allows it encourages and codifies all of these things so that these systems can be in place so that people can be without it seems sick but that's exactly what it is it's set up so that no, no resources will be taken from the wealthy but instead continue to just take them from the poor continue to take them from the needy and continue to funnel them to the rich so that the rich won't see any want so that the wealthy won't see any loss so that the rich won't realize the inflation at all on their end but the people who can't afford it absolutely will and will go without and like it says uh, it'll be so scarce that you won't need 10 ovens one oven will be enough because that's going to be all the food you're going to have to share anyway and it says bread by weight meaning again scarcity and poverty the same thing it says in revelation that it'll be scared there'll be scarcity and poverty as a result of the wickedness of the land of the people of the land verse 27 and after all this if you do not obey me but walk contrary to me so saying that even after all these the punishments that will befall the people for their unfaithfulness if they continue to still be stubborn continue to still be unfaithful continue to still be uncorrected for the wickedness they are guilty of or the unfaithfulness they've been convicted of or guilty of verse 28 then i also will walk contrary to you in fury and i even i will chastise you seven times for your sins so now it's gone from just opposing you um for your unfaithfulness in a regular sense but now it's going to be in fury meaning the lord's going to rage against you if you're going to believe this is the lord and like i say we're just going to read it as the lord since that's what it says it says if you continue with the unfaithfulness continue to be unrighteous continue to be contrary to what the lord is commanding you then expect a furious uh, rebuke verse 28 
um, sorry, verse 29. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. So it's not talking spiritually there. It's talking literally. It's not talking figuratively. It's talking liter literally. You're going to actually resort to cannibalism because of the uh, unfaithfulness. And we know also that that also came to pass. And not just once. It happened. Uh, we're going to read again if we get to it. Where the people end up uh, besieged by uh, one nation after another. Uh, surrounding, overtaking them and carrying them away captive. And it gets to the point where the people are desperate. And in desperate straits where they don't have any food. So they resort to eating their own children. Cannibalism. And... Um, it happened in the Old Testament and it happens again in the New Testament after the people are unfaithful to what Jesus brings in the Gospels as far as the red letters go. And Jesus tells them that's what's going to happen to them, that um, you're going to face those punishments for unfaithfulness. And I guess I could see why some people believe the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of the New, how they'll say it's a type, in other words, of just it's it's not meant to last forever, even though it says forever. In the different statutes and orders that are given um that they still say it's just a type a foreshadowing of jesus coming giving them laying out the real truth the gospel truth of what people ought to be doing um but jesus lets us know in the gospels that that's what's going to happen um and it does happen it's happening currently in the famines we see now and the wars we see now but it happened in also when the people were unfaithful and jesus let them know that was going to happen and then that's exactly what happened they crucified jesus and thought that was the end of it but his prophecy still came true um in a generation later the city was besieged, the people were surrounded and couldn't get in or out, and they ended up starving many to death and many eating their children, eating their unborn children and cooking them and eating them because there was no food. That's the sort of famine that um, is being described, and that's what the people ended up falling into. Verse 30, I will destroy your high places cut down your incense altars and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols and my soul shall abhor you so it's saying you're, the people are going to end up just as dead as the idols they worship that the um places that they worship that they call holy uh, where they claim to be seeking god are going to be cast down they're going to be torn down and ruined um including the altars of incense including the high places and including their bodies and that they'll be abhorred, meaning the Lord will despise them. Verse 34, I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to, des to desolation. And I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. So the holy places, as they're called, will be rejected and um, raised to the floor, to the ground, um, destroyed. And um, the incense is going to be ignored. It's not going to be... A, a sweet sweet aroma to the Lord as the first offerings are described and remember the first offerings before the uh, uh, Christian red letters come along before the Catholic non-red letters came along before the hint of the Muslim religion comes along in the book of Hosea before even Judaism comes along in the Bible or what we call the Old Testament before all of those there was um, burnt sacrifices and animal sacrifices to what we call in modern terms magic. 
And you don't have to take my word for it. You can read after the flood. After the flood, Noah made an offering. And it was of those burnt animals. And it says burnt animals, but that doesn't mean necessarily burnt to a crisp. Like I've said again and again, it sounds a more a lot more like barbecue. But um, even if it was burnt to a crisp, if that was the sweet smell in the Lord's nose of smelling the animals that the Lord created and gave life to, being slaughtered for human sins and burned, even if that was the case, that was all before any of those other religions. Uh, remember, that's what Noah did. Noah made those. Noah made those offerings, and they were considered that sweet aroma to the Lord then. And that was before any of those religions arose, as far as their doctrine anyway. Uh, as a Christian, I believe Jesus is timeless and there from the beginning um, with God. Um, so it's not actually before Christianity, but it may, it is before the the red letters of it being actually documented. So there's a slight difference there, but there is a difference. Um, so before all of them, there was that. The uh, sweet aroma of animals being burnt um, as a sacrifice. And barbecue does smell delicious. So again, I think that's what it's talking about. It's talking about barbecue. It's not talking about burning things to a crisp. That doesn't smell so great. Um, but anyway, as it says, the Lord's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So maybe it does smell good to just be burnt to ashes. Verse 32, I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. So not only will the land... Um, the people, the place where the people dwell, be devastated and level to the ground. The enemies are going to be astonished at it. The ones who conquer them are going to be astonished at the fact that it's brought to nothing. Verse 33, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. So it's talking about their dispersion, the diaspora as they're called. We know, lots of people know about the Hebrew Jewish diaspora as far as um, being spread out and dispersed throughout the world as a result of the different wars and conquering of the area um, known as the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine. But there are other, there are other diaspora also. There's the African diaspora where the slaves, the people who were enslaved, I should say, were dispersed also and spread abroad. And I think there's a, a message there that often gets overlooked or, you know, read over that the African diaspora may root, probably even roots back to the Hebrew Jewish diaspora and nations also. Because remember, the people were in Africa for 400 plus years. And we know it doesn't take long for people to start mixing and intermarrying and all of that. And that assumes that the people who they're intermarrying with weren't dark-skinned also. Because remember, this is taking part place in the Middle East, where there aren't many blonde and blues walking around in the first place in modern times, and probably even less so back then, because colonialism hadn't happened yet. Colonization of other lands that don't belong to you hadn't happened yet, like it's happened in the more recent, recent history. So don't just think that, um, don't assume anything. But it's letting us know there that um, the land will be desolate and the people be, will be uh, scattered abroad. And even when they're scattered, war and evil uh, will chase them. Verse 34, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you're not 
and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. So it seems that the land is very important to the Lord um, here and also from the beginning. Because remember, it's um, it's it seems that there's different commands that the land should not be abused and that the land has to be respected again and again and again. And other religions follow that. The Native American religions follow that or at least belief systems follow that. And other religions believe that the land is sacred and that the land should be respected and that you shouldn't just dump poisons in the land and in the water and in the air. Uh, but America, a God-fearing Christian nation, doesn't follow any of these things. The EPA looks the other way as water and land and air are polluted. In fact, I just saw on one of the most brilliant, my favorite comedians, especially since one of the one who recently fell away, falling into trans jokes, left, right, and sideways, even though that's not who attacked him on stage. That was the first thing came out of his mouth, that that was a trans man, and to get a laugh from the audience. And it seems to me people, just as a side note, who keep focusing on things like the LGBT uh, community and the issue, people who are already plagued with lots of issues as it is, even from within, for people to continually target them, it seems to me that's what's on those people's mind. That's what's in those people's hearts. That's what those people are dwelling on because that's what they're struggling with. And I don't know that to be the case with each individual, but that sure seems to be the case. And I think that's what Freud would say. If the first thing you go to is attacking the trans people, even though that's not who attacked you, it seems to me that's what's on your heart. That's what's in your mind. And not only that, just as another side note, uh, and this is an isn't an advertisement for me, but just as a side note, one of the very first movies I came out with, and it's not like it was a blockbuster, but it was a help for me, was called Misha's Booty Call Bonanza. And um, that name, if, if, if you can see it on my website, hungtgirl.com, you can see it there. And you'll see that the time of when I put it out and uh, when it was circulating came before that same certain comedian who was attacked on stage recently and said that the attacker was a trans guy, that same comedian in one of his earlier works of art, if you're going to call it art, and again, he was a favorite comedian of mine for a long time until more recent developments where he seems to have turned into a token attacking the black community. For instance, when he made jokes about black people calling them the n-word when they're attacked um, in front of an audience of non-black people and then travels the world to see uh, Madonna perform and then goes with a whole different energy, completely different uh, way of speaking, no jokes like that at all, and complete respect for the LGBT community when he's surrounded by them and in front of a different audience. That same comedian. If you look at some of his earlier works, it's subtle and it's quick, but you'll see him mention, oh, it's like a booty call bonanza. He says it very, very briefly, and you'd have to be a fan to notice it, but that was after my movie came out. So it seems to me, even though I didn't know it, uh, I must have been on his radar at that time, way back then, even before. And I think it was when he performed in D.C., um, uh, at, at, uh, did a concert there, or, you know, a, a performance there, a stand-up show there. One of my favorite stand-up of his, actually, and like I said, one of my favorite comedians up until recent times. Um, 
but um, another, that was a sidetrack, the other comedian I'm talking about, who's my current favorite comedian, who covers these um, issues of race and inequality and immigration and wickedness of America is John Oliver. He does an excellent job at showing how the EPA, that's supposedly the Environmental Protection Agency, looked the other way for decades as the water and land under black people was being poisoned literally poisoned so bad that the people the children couldn't even play in the grass without getting sick and yet and how also they'll look the other way as waste and toxic material is routed around a white community even though that's the more direct route and instead routed directly through a black neighborhood intentionally on purpose with the toxins with the poisons all with the EPA's knowledge of it and with the EPA saying nothing about it so um, we see these things coming to life way back then and you see them happening even now and if you want to see the John Oliver episode it was two or three weeks ago or maybe even longer than that but if it's the current season of it I'd recommend you watch all of his seasons he's brilliant he's excellent he's funny and he's uh, he's on the point and he gets it all done in like 30 minutes. He says what needs to be said. He gets you to laugh at it, but he breaks off a whole lot of knowledge along the way. John Oliver is brilliant, just as the previous comedian I was talking about, who I won't name. Um, but it's pretty clear. I mean, if you do some research, you might be able to figure out who I'm talking about. Um, was brilliant also, but has fallen into the token mentality where apparently if you make enough money it'll make you lose all your uh sense of what's actually what you at one time valued um the same things that drove that comedian to go leave the country and live in africa because he noticed and realized just how wicked the system is and how racist the system is but then has returned to get more money and put all of that behind him and like i said when black people were recently killed he what does he do he jokes about it and calls the dead black people the n-word even though he himself is black and gets the audience to laugh about the death and murder of other black people and completely overlook glaze over the fact that that's not how white people are treated even murderous massacring white people aren't treated like that at all it's it's really a really sick system that america has set up um and it seems to be thriving. When will these things happen to the American system? Since America is unfaithful to any of these things here or the things that Christ says either, even though it pretends to be a God-fearing Christian nation. It's all faux. It's all fake. It's just feigning Christianity, pretending to be God-fearing uh, as a label, as an umbrella. But it actually isn't any of those things. Um, but here it's saying that if you, um, the land's going to get its rest from the wickedness one way or another, either you're going to let the land have its rest that are ordered or uh, required or at least laid out here by ordinance that the land's supposed to rest before you start using it. And then every six years, that seventh year is also supposed to, supposed to rest. And if you won't be faithful to that schedule, then you'll be removed from the land and the land will rest that way. That seems to be what that verse is saying. Verse 35, as long as it lies desolate, it shall rest for the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwelt in it. So, again, the land's going to get its rest one way or another. So it seems to be saying that it's the land that's really sacred 
And um, just like how Jesus sort of affirms when he says the popular verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not the people that um, Jesus is saying that the God loves. It's the world. Almost like I've said before, it's the video game. It's like a video game or a favorite movie or board game that you love. You don't love the characters in the game. You don't love the characters in the movie. You love the game itself. It's the world that's loved. It's the land that's loved and expected to be respected. Right. So it seems the land is very sacred to the quote unquote Lord and requires its rest from just being worked. Uh, just like people, that's what the Sabbath is about, so that you don't just spend your entire existence working and working and working, or making your servants or even slaves work and work and work with no rest. Uh, the land also needs that rest. Um, and it seems there, according to that verse, uh, if you won't give the land its rest like it's scheduled to get, then you'll be removed from the land and the land will get its rest that way. Verse 36. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness in the, into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. So it sounds like terrorism. You're going to be so terrorized from, uh, of, by, of, of fear of what's going on, on around you that you're going to run when nobody's even chasing you. You're going to be terrorized. And um, and the faintness, I mean, that's terror. You're uh, traumatized from the, uh, from the fact of the wars and the famines and the pestilence uh, being all around you so that even a shaken leaf will make you think, oh, they're after you. Verse 37, they shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword when no one pursues and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. So they'll lose military might, it seems to be, is what it's saying there, and the power to battle at all um, for as a reward for the unfaithfulness. And like I said, if we get to that point in, the old, as we're in our readings, we'll see where they do get taken captive the people here we're reading about in ancient times get taken captive again and again. Uh, one site that comes to mind is when Babylon or the, the, that kingdom takes them captive. But I seem to recall the Persian kingdom taking them captive. But then others also in, uh, in the, the Romans by the time of Jesus ends up taking them captive and ruling over them. So it happens again and again and again, and according to this, it's due to unfaithfulness to the commandments. Verse 38, you shall perish among the nations, and the hand of your enemies shall eat you up. So even though they get dispersed to the different nations, different conquering nations, it says that the land there will um, also be after them and eat them up too. Verse 39, and those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. So uh, that is consistent what we read previously in, um, maybe it was Exodus, I think, um, where it talks about the children bearing the sins of the fathers. But then we're going to read later on where, it's where uh, in the Old Testament where it says, no, it, the person who sins is going to bear their own sins, not the generations after them. So it's one more contradiction 
But um, we'll get to that, God willing, as always, at another point. But here it's saying at this point where we're at, it's saying that um, that's what's going to happen, that um, their enemies are going to prevail over them in their own land and even in the lands where they're carried away captive. The enemy is still going to be on their necks, on their backs. And it's going to be a result of generational um, unfaithfulness. Verse 40, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me. So it's saying another contingent statement, if you confess, if there's repentance, because that's part of, part of repent, repentance is confessing, recognizing where you went wrong, where you offended where you were wrong. That's part of repentance. And the other part of, re of repentance, at least Christian repentance, is making it right um, with the person or, and even if it's yourself, whether it's yourself, whether it's God, whether it's your neighbor, recognizing where you're wrong is one of the steps. Making it right is another of the steps. Um, so that we're here at this point, it's first recognizing where you're wrong, where you uh, were contrary to what uh, you were commanded, verse 41, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt. So uh, this, this, the repentance we're discussing here begins with recognizing where you were wrong and recognizing that you were wrong and God has repaid you for it, that um, you've been repaid that's what the recompense is about not necessarily um, by people but divinely repaid you've reaped what you've sown and recognizing that that it's not just by chance that wicked things and evil things happen to you no recognizing that you were wrong and did evil things and in turn those evil things have cropped up for you and returned to you recognizing both of those things and then it says accepting their guilt so you have to oh but don't read over uh, that you also have to be humbled. So um, recognizing where you're wrong and humbly realizing that and accepting it and then accepting the guilt that goes along with recognizing, oh, you know what? I was wrong for that. And then accepting the guilt for it, not just passing it off as someone else's fault. Uh, like the shooter saying it's the minorities that are the problem. It's the people at the border who are the problem. It's the Jews who are the problem. No, not putting it on any of that at all, but instead saying, you know what, I was wrong and it was my fault and that that's why those things are happening to you. That's what it really takes, not pointing the finger or blame at someone else, but realizing your own guilt. Verse 42, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. So it's saying once you come to yourself and realize, oh, I was the one who's wrong there and accept the guilt of it. Then that's when it says here, the Lord will also remember that, OK, I did have a covenant with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob um, and uh, that will be remembered. So it, the God remembering the covenant begins with you remembering the covenant, the Ten Commandments orders. Verse 43, the land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. So the statutes are being uh, clumped in again with the the uh, as parts of the judgments 
and uh, presumably the commandments, but saying here that once you accept the guilt and God remembers uh, that uh, we did have a covenant, an agreement, in other words, that if you follow these orders, these commandments, you'll be blessed. Once you realize that, then God will also uh, call it to mind also, remember. And um, verse 44, yet for all that, when they're in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them from the Lord their God. So it's saying, if you do those things, in other words, repent and remember, accept your guilt in being wrong and unfaithful, then the Lord also then will remember you and the covenant and um, and uh, not completely forsake you in the land of the enemy, in the place where you've been carried away captive, in the place where you're suffering. Uh, you won't be just left there alone, but instead um, the Lord will, uh, it seems, take up with you again. Let's see, verse 45. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So uh, the covenant with the ancestors, it seems to be talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, those covenants. Um, but remember, those are things, those are people who, according to the just the few chapters we just read, were guilty of some of these same or stat breaking some of these same statutes and ordinances. For instance, not having sex with your family members, your um children, your uh aunts. They were guilty of all of those things. And according to the chapters we just read, uh, because they're guilty of them, the land will vomit them out. The land will reject them. So. Uh, it's contradictory that now the the descendants are being asked to follow those these those same statutes and ordinances and covenants when the people who broke them uh, the covenant with them is going to be affirmed it's it seems like talking in circles but it, it's what it reads so we're just reading it um verse 46 these are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. So it's saying now that those are the different statutes and ordinances. Those are the commandments, basically. But we again, we know that the Ten Commandments were not all of these different things. And Jesus affirms those the commandments in the New Testament for us Christians. Also, we know, like I said before, that some of these are from the forefathers. They're just dogma and religious laws set up by the system at that time to keep the people in order and maybe in order so that they would not be in complete uh disarray and wickedness by the time jesus does come around because they were still faithful to some, at least being taught some of these different things by the time jesus rolled around some people are faithful to some of the, or at least taught some of these things even in modern times but um we know that, like I said, the forefathers weren't faithful to any of these commandments because they weren't given to them yet. And as far as even the the Ten Commandments about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, and all those things, those weren't even there for the forefathers yet. So I guess they get cover in that sense because how could they be faithful to laws that weren't didn't exist yet? Uh, just like the modern day time, modern times, uh, say like the marijuana laws. How can you, uh, before they became illegal, and remember those were also race-based also, 
directed and targeted at black the black community and then they became codified federally and now you have uh, the world the country's having a time trying to undo them because they were originally aimed at black people and the country hates to undo things aimed at black people even in modern times even with a black president who could have done something about it even with a democratic president now who could do something about it even with the previous president who could have done something about it and easily gotten reelected if he had changed the marijuana laws, taken it off the federal controlled substances list, substances, substances list, he would have been a shoe in. He only lost by a few thousand votes in certain districts anyway, because a vote is not a vote in this country, as it turns out. Even though they say it is, it's not. The electoral co electoral college system makes sure that it's not. It's we've seen again and again that the person who gets the popular vote, the most votes. Uh, doesn't get the job every time, whether it's Hillary Clinton or whether it was um 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 what's his name right after um what Al Gore and gets you get more votes, but you don't get the job. The, only in that system does it work like that. You go any other voting system, whether it's for a beauty pageant or uh or whatever. If you if you get the most votes, if you're class president, you get the job. But when it comes to that system, it's set up so that it doesn't work that way. It's set up to maintain the system of white supremacy and laws that oppress black people. It seems hard to believe, but you don't have to take my word for it. The laws are still there to this day. And those laws are set up to affect and hold down black people. But like I said, that white supremacy has white victims of it also. Because there are plenty of white people who have all sorts of... Uh, criminal records following them for those same laws set up to oppress black people. They don't get the same um, judgments and, um, and punishments as black people still, but they still have it following and victimizing them just the same. And you see no one doing anything about it anytime soon. And that's because behind Democrats in power, behind Republicans in power is white supremacy that tends is doing all it can to see to it that one set of people maintains dominant over another whether they've actually earned it or not and we know they didn't because who was working the fields during the slave times oh yeah it was the slaves it wasn't the owners it was the slaves so if anyone uh, is lazy it's not the slaves it's not the descendants of slaves it's not the people still struggling with that oppression it's the people who set up that oppression in the first place but anyway, that's the last verse in this chapter, so that's the end of this reading. As always, I appreciate you joining me and hope it's a blessing for you. You can hear the past readings here on this platform, Spotify and Anchor, and others while they last. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my website that I mentioned earlier, hungtgirl.com, and hear the past readings, the red letter readings, and read along with me there with the body, mind, spirit, and soul links. You can see how those readings have affected my life. And with the spirit and soul links specifically, you can read along with me the red letters yourself and see, I'm not here to deceive you. I'm not here to lie to you. That would only cause problems for me. Um, um, but you can see it for yourself and see how the truth gets hijacked by religion and all sorts of other evil in energies at work, including especially greed and also white supremacy, 
Um, you can see it for yourself. Read along with me there. You can make a donation. That helps me. You can check out the free stuff. That helps me. Or you can get a subscription. That also helps me. All of the above are appreciated, and I thank you for it. And I thank you for joining me now, and hope you'll join me again. We do the Old Testament readings on our Monday and Wednesday readings, and we focus on the red letters on our Saturday readings. Stay safe. God bless you, and thanks again. See you next time. Peace be with you.